Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Um, we're going to talk this morning about rewards. And because it's Father's Day, I, uh, <laughs> uh, fathers have a sense of humor. Sometimes they keep it in under wraps, but when they're around family, they kind of let it go. So I hope you appreciate as we have a little bit of humor this morning as I give you an introduction about rewards. Well, when I was a youngster, I used to watch westerns, you know, Hopalong Cassidy and such, and, and other good guy, bad guy shows. And that's where I first was introduced to the concept of rewards. You see, there would be a, a good guy, like a sheriff, or maybe a bounty hunter, Or maybe an undercover cop. <laughs> and uh, they would be after the bad guys. And you always knew the, the bad guys because their faces were on a wanted poster. <laughs> now, these wanted posters would always have the word reward. And... Uh, that meant there was cash offered for, offered for the capturing of these bad guys. Now, it wasn't always bad guys. Sometimes there was bad gals. And the rewards offered, well, they were generally pretty generous. Also, particularly in police shows that were set in the 1930s and 40s, there would be Bonnie and Clyde types. Because, because in those days, uh, let's see, I lost my place. <laughs> because in those days, men and women teams like the gangster and his mall were a thing. The reward was pretty good especially if they were bank robbers and or possibly train robbers. Now, there was also uh, the category of gangs for whom a reward was offered. And uh, the reward for a gang was always quite sizable, especially if the gang was sizable. And if you could catch them all. So they would all, however, ultimately face a judge when they were captured. And be tried or jailed or hanged, depending on the severity of their offense. And for all the hard work of these good guys who faced obstacles and sometimes death and who worked hard and caught them, they would get rewarded money and a good name and a reputation for being faithful in pursuit of their quest. 
Well, that was pretty much my first exposure to the concepts of, of rewards back in the 1950s. I'm that old. And if it pretty much follows the standard de defini dictionary uh, definition of rewards, something given in recognition of one's service, effort, or achievement. And that's the working definition I'd like you to keep in mind today. Today we're going to consider what would be the most desirable word, word, reward of all for all of us. And that is the most wanted rewards, which are those future rewards offered in heaven. Heavenly rewards. We're going to consider four main points about these rewards. That is what Jesus said about rewards distinctions between salvation and rewards. We're going to answer six questions about rewards, and we're going to speak about motivation in the Christian life. And we're going to do that all in rapid-fire time. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures, so if you are interested in writing down the scriptures, you've got to write really fast. But as we get started, allow me to pray, because without the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, this is just a fleshly effort. Father, we do thank you, and we praise you for this morning. Thank you for everyone here this morning. Thank you for those who are viewing online. Lord God, your word is a light to our path, and we look forward to you to teach our hearts today, Father, as we look into the word of God, which we desperately need in a time when truth is so, uh, so warped, Lord, in the world. We need the solidness of your truth. Please direct us today. Direct our hearts and our minds and our spirits, Lord. And help us to listen and to follow you. And we give you all the praise and the glory in the precious name of the Savior. Amen. Well, this is, wasn't intentional, but in a sense it's a red letter, letter living uh, series uh, side, sidebar. Uh, the Pastor Mark's been leading us through the red letter uh, series. And because we're going to begin with the uh, very words of Christ himself. About what Jesus said about rewards. Matthew Chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is, coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Fascinating statement, isn't it? In the context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the cost of discipleship. Ship. Beginning in uh, verse 24, he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, I want to submit to you that this is not a salvation passage. That's not the emphasis of what's being said here. It's a discipleship passage, a follower of Jesus passage. That is the surrender of ourselves to Christ's will in order to have the fullest, richest, most abundant life possible. Trading our worldly ambitions and the desires for fame, fortune, personal comfort, and convenience, or luxury for a life of following him on a regular basis. Those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but whatever the Lord calls us to is where we want to go. It's a sad thing to see someone trust Christ for the saving of their soul from eternal punishment and then fail to grasp that salvation is only the beginning of Christ's work in their life. It's not the end. Salvation is a call, according to John chapter 17, to know Him and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Knowing Him is going to be an eternal pursuit. 
that starts with having our sins forgiven and new life being given. Beyond that, there is a call to follow him, discipleship. A call to follow him as master and Lord, allowing him to pick the path and then discovering what are the rewards promised to those who do so. It has been said all disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. I'll explain this further in a minute. Getting back to the passage, there is a future time when Christ shall return, and he will return in glory with the angels. And then there will be rewards. They will be individual and based upon initiative and effort in the things of God during the time on earth for people. As a side note, the Bible indicates there are several coming judgments over which Jesus, Jesus presides. The one that Jesus re- is referring to in Matthew 16, 17, the initial passage we started with, will pertain to Jewish believers. And it's spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 42. This is the passage when the Jews who survived the tribulation period are passed under Christ's rod and entered into the millennial kingdom. There's a 75-day interval from the time Christ returns until that inauguration of his reign. The book of Daniel tells us. And during that time is when they will be judged. It's also the time for the Old Testament saints. And the reference for that is Daniel chapter 12, verses 2, 3, and 13. But these judgments don't involve you and me. They are not church age judgments. There's also a judgment called the sheep and goat judgments. This is revealed in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. The church is not involved in this one either. This judgment takes place during that same 75-day period. There will be judged for their behavior toward God's people during the tribulation period. Some will enter into the new uh, millennium, and others will be judicially punished, and they'll be sent to perdition. The third Perhaps most well-known judgment is called the Great White Throne Judgment, and it doesn't involve the church either, or any other believer. It is the general resurrection of the dead at the end of Christ's thousand-year reign, where the unsaved dead will be resurrected and given new bodies that will endure the fires of hell, to which they will be sentenced without reprieve for eternity. So the fourth judgment does involve the church age believers. That's you and me. So we need to listen. We need to to hear what's being said. This judgment takes place actually before all the others. In the book of Revelation, a book written to the church specifically, in chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Does that sound familiar? It will be individual, it will be based on performance, and it will involve rewards. There's no mention of angels or coming in glory. This is Christ coming for his church, his bride, all church aid believers from Pentecost on. He is coming quickly and at any time. Theologians call this the doctrine of imminency because it can happen at any time. The church is called to always be ready and about, be about the business of God. So two different passages, they both refer to Christ's coming, one at a time, one identified with the end of the tribulation period, and both emphasizing rewards. 
Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. So before we get to the details about rewards, I want to make a distinction for you. Our salvation is a free gift. Jesus did all the work, and it was the only, he was the only one who could have done it. He purchased us through his blood, the sacrifice of his life on the cross, where he paid for all our sin. He satisfied the holiness and justice of God that way. It costs us nothing. We honor the Father and become reconciled to Him and begin to live in a restored relationship with Him. He died once for all, the book of Hebrews tells us. Paul really gives emphasis to this idea in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It says this, But the gift is not like the trespass, for... If many died in the trespass of one man, and that would be Adam, Jesus, I'm sorry, how much more did God's grace, and let me read, let me begin that again. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, and that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, if you didn't completely follow the theology there, I hope you got my emphasis. Salvation is a gift. (laughs) Okay? Uh, Five times he refers to it as a gift. And that gift is not earned. A gift is not something that's earned. It is something voluntarily given without payment. God gives us salvation. We just have to simply trust and believe. So if I've made that really clear, I want to move on here. On the other hand, rewards are earned. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. He said that he and Apollos were co-workers. They were both saved individuals, yet they were working, laboring to build Christ's church through evangelization and through teaching. And they were extending effort and energy and resources to this end. There are eight Greek words for rewards. As we see, hopefully, in the list, the reward list above. And that, is, that was made by a, Jody, a man named Jody Dillo. But all of these express the idea of something obtained by means of effort, remuneration for work done, wages, or employment. They differ from the gift because they are earned. When Christ comes either at the rapture or at the second coming, he's not bringing the free gift of salvation. He's bringing rewards. You already have salvation if you're trusting him. You have that already, but he's going to bring rewards. Paul would later write this in his second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
And he's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I. This is very similar to what we read in uh, Revelation 22.12. Individual reward based upon what we do here and now. I'd like to move on into the who, what, where, and why about rewards. The old journalistic questions. I had journalism in 8th grade. That's about all I remember about it, but I did have it. Well, the who, and we've kind of already established that, it's church-age believers who are differentiated from the Old Testament and the, New, and the uh, tribulation saints because they will receive their rewards at a, a different time period. When will this happen? After Christ comes quickly. When does that happen? At the rapture of the church, when we're caught up, the harpazo, to be with the Lord. And this is a time of the rapture and the resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise first. That is, those who have passed on before us will receive their resurrected bodies, and we who are alive and remain, if we happen to be alive and remain, will be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, we're going to be clothed, incorruptible, with a new resurrection body. And the Old Testament saints with their new bodies, I'm sorry, the New Testament saints who have already died with their new bodies, and us with our new bodies, uh, will be taken to heaven. These bodies will be fitted for glory, because we can't exist in heaven now in the current bodies that we are in. Well, where will it be? It will be at Christ's judgment seat that takes place in heaven. It's not going to happen on this earth. We will no longer be bound by time, which is kind of a unique concept. We don't know what that's like. But time will still exist. Things will be going on on the planet at that time. And events will, that are foretold in Scripture will keep going. But all the believers of the church age will be involved. Unlike earthly ceremonies, however, like graduations... That seems sometimes to go on forever. We will have no sense of urgency. No sense of the passage of time. We will be amazed. We will be overjoyed at the way Jesus recognizes and rewards his own. What number one? What will happen? Paul says, so that each of us may receive what is due. It is in this judgment that the things that are done in our body after we believe are either rewarded and recognized or destroyed and distorted. Christ will preside as the just judge at this event. So this tells us that we are going to be evaluated by the Lord based upon actions and thought life while we live on this earth. It applies to every believer. Note the words, we must and we all these, the criteria, we can't get out of it. And the criteria for our evaluation, evaluation will be revealed in uh, the revealed will of God in the Bible. Back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said this. He said, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, the workers. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. He then goes on to say, if anyone builds on this foundation, and he's talking about salvation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. 
So it's a judgment of works. It doesn't have to do with, with being saved. It's not a judgment for sin, and we have no, no uh, fears about that. That's a mute point. If we trust Christ, we know that he paid for our sin, and that is over. We have passed from condemnation. We are justified, we are set apart, and we are in right standing with God. Like Abraham of old, we have believed God, and it is accounted to us, put on the accounting sheet, that we are righteous. And so that should never be an issue in your mind anymore if you trusted Christ. This won't be a judgment seat for that. God has taken our sins. He has cast them as far as east is from west and does not remember them anymore. This is an assessment of what we have done with our time, our talents, and our treasures after we were saved as we live on this earth. It will be a time of recognition, a time of reward, a time of evaluation, acknowledgement of faithfulness in the things of God. Some of our works won't survive. They are are not sin necessarily in and of themselves, but they are not enduring because perhaps wrong motivation, such as pride or things done begrudgingly or things done in disobedience to God's known will. Uh, The end never justifies the means in God's program or any number of other reasons. Christ will judge perfectly. Let me give you a biblical example of this. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 17, said this. He said, Some preach Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives. Isn't that interesting? Even if they win people to Christ, it's not going to go on their account because they had wrong motives and they were selfish in what they were doing. Another biblical example from the Old Testament, perhaps you're very familiar with, I would think, uh, has to do with the life of King, uh, of king Saul, the first king of Israel. He was instructed, you remember, to destroy the Amalekite people, including all the livestock. He went to battle. He did win. But he spared the life of their king Agag and the best of the livestock. rationalizing that this was better overall and thinking that he could present them to the Lord as a sacrificial offering. Unfortunately, the Lord wasn't happy with this. It was a sin of rebellion in God's eyes, and God sent Samuel with the message that obedience is better than sacrifice. And the downfall of Saul's kingdom began at that time. So our works are going to be assessed and not, and not all will survive, only those done in the right way at the right time with the right motivation. But we will survive no matter what. Why does this happen? I mean, isn't heaven enough? When I was first saved, I was happy to have a little grass shack out back. You know, I was, that's just the way I looked at it. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, you know. But then I found out some things. I'm called to know God. You're called to know God. And what we find out, he's a rewarder. One of my favorite verses. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For they that believe that he is must come to him. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He recognizes effort and activity that reflect a love for him and his people. Works done with pure motives in obedience to his known will. Let me give you some Old Testament examples just so you, so you know what I'm talking about. You remember Exodus chapter 1 and the Pharaoh got all paranoid and he ordered the killing of the Hebrew young males. There was two Egyptian midwives, Pua and Shipra. Aren't you glad you're not named Pua or Shipra? They were told to kill these babies. 
they, the Bible says, they feared God. They feared God. So they disobeyed Pharaoh as a demonstration of their reference, reverence to God by being slow about getting to the birth when a baby was being born. born. And then so they were able to tear Pharaoh. Well, the women are just very vigorous, and they give birth before we can get there, and then they're gone. And, but the, the Bible reveals that they feared God. So what did God do about this? He rewarded them and gave them each families, is what the Bible tells us. Think of the story of Phineas. Perhaps you don't know this story. I talked to someone yesterday who knows his Bible pretty well, and he had a quizzical look on when I mentioned this. Matt, Numbers 25. He stopped a plague in the camp of Israel by standing against idolatry and immorality and by spearing and killing an Israelite man and a Moabite woman who were openly flaunting their sin. God gave him and his descendants a covenant of peace because of his zeal to honor God. This is this one I'm sure everybody knows. You might recall that Joshua and Caleb were rewarded for their trust in God's word when they expressed their faith about going into the promised land despite the giants and the overwhelming odds against them. And they turned out that their reward was they were the only ones of their generation freed from Egypt that entered the promised land. One more, which I found interesting. You might remember the early days of King Solomon, who was told that he could ask anything and God would grant it. And what he asked for was wisdom to lead God's people. He didn't ask for long life, riches, or glory for himself. But you know what? Because of his humility, God blessed him with riches and honor. God is a rewarder. And those are just a short list of the way that he blesses. Well, that takes care of who, the church, what, the judgment for works, where, heaven, and when, after the rapture. But let's look at what kind of rewards does God give? What kind of rewards could you actually earn in heaven by your efforts today? Very briefly, I'm going to talk about five gifts, and this is by no means all of them. It's just a sample that God gives to faithful believers. They're called crowns. In the Greek, stephanos. Stephanos would be a victor's crown that you get for winning a contest, as opposed to a diadem. Diadem is something that is given for those who have a legal right. Jesus wears a diadem. The first crown we could call the incorruptible crown. It's written about in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes into the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown, a laurel wreath crown, Stephanos, that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
This is called the incorruptible crown. It deals with struggles with our flesh. The crown is given for victories that we have over fleshly desires that interfere with our spiritual pursuits. Paul explained that gaining mastery over the flesh demands diligence and efforts on our part. You remember the story of the apostles and the night of Jesus' crucifixion. They could not stay awake, not even for an hour. Jesus noted that. They gave in to the flesh and they fell asleep. We are often spiritually sleepy ourselves. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Following Christ means we must always be in training. We can't lose our edge, our fire for loving, serving, and knowing God. We have to set aside what the Apostle Peter called and knew well, the sins that easily beset us. That means we constantly assess, what are we doing with our time, our talent, and our treasures? Are we being self-indulgent or are we being spiritually minded? God knows our struggles. He knows our failures. He knows our victories. How private they are, it's between you and him. He gives us a wonderful counsel in the book of John. First John, it's written, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what he's done there, if we give in to something sinful, it's only going to be a loss to us if we don't acknowledge it and repent it. Repent of it. The longer it takes to acknowledge and repent of a sin, however, is time lost to us. And as Paul says in Romans 13, 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's the incorruptible crown, the victory and the mastery of the spirit over our flesh. Next is a crown of rejoicing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Paul wrote this, For what is our hope? our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Here, the apostle is talking to the church at Thessalonica. Many had trusted Christ for their salvation because of Paul's evangelism. They were his crown. This crown is given to those who give witness to the grace of God and the power of the gospel to deliver and set people free from sin and death. It not only applies to those who evangelize and tell people the good news directly about Christ, but also applies to those who support and make this evangelization possible through the use of their resources. The book of Romans says this, and I'm sure you're familiar. How can they, speaking of unbelievers, call on the one in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one who may have not heard? How can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. There are preachers, the ones sent, and there are senders, the ones who help preachers fulfill their calling by uh, giving giving them time and resources to do it. 
What a wonder it will be to arrive in heaven and to be greeted by people who have been savingly impacted by your testimony, by your life as you follow the Lord. What a wonderful reward to receive a crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ. The next has two verses that go with it, and it's crown of life. James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus instructs his church at Smyrna, he says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So the first verse told us, that the crown of life is promised to those who love him. The second verse spoken by Jesus for all churches to hear gives us a literal example of a trial that would come upon the believers in the city of Smyrna. The requirement for winning the crown is be faithful even to the point of death. In this case, there would be an outward demonstration by the members of that church publicly even before their accusers. The winning of the crown of life is promised, I'm sorry, requires that no matter what the trial, we don't lose our faith in Christ. It does not mean that you don't ask questions why, or that you don't understand or become confused if the circumstances around you are just not comprehensible. The Old Testament account of Job is the ultimate example for us and his life and what happened to him. God doesn't give out rewards based upon our success. He gives out rewards based upon our faithfulness. Being thrown in jail for 10 days and threatened with death is not a mark of success in our world. But being faithful to God during this time of trial was an opportunity for those in Smyrna to win a crown of life. It's easy to praise God and give uh, thanks to Him when their blessings abound. A test, however, reveals a condition of our heart. Not to God, He knows it already, but to us and those in our sphere of influence. Writing to struggling believers, Peter said this, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of His glory. Pastor Mark said this one time, and I've always remembered it. We must learn to thank and praise God from the place of pain. We cannot always control the circumstances around us. We cannot always avoid the trials or uncertainty. But when they come, we just need to remain consistent in our faith. Just consistent, trusting Him. How's it done? Peter gives us the answer in verse 9 in this same passage. He says this, Those who suffer according to God's will should entrust their souls to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. We have to surrender all doubt, all fear, putting our cares upon him and continuing in faithfulness. Well, this next crown is called the crown of glory. 
First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, from the context of this passage, we understand that he is talking to the shepherds, the pastors, and the overseers of a church. And primarily, that's the initial application for this. And, but we think that because these assignments are delegated and only carried out by qualified men, that this statement would limit the crown. But I think we need to understand this phrase, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. This is, a, thus saith Joe, okay? Thus saith Joe, not thus saith God. I think there's a comparable crown to those who shepherd, guide, protect, feed, and help those that God has entrusted to their care in Christ's name. Pastor Mark shared many times that his mom and dad faithfully taught Sunday school for years and years. They taught, they encouraged, they prayed for, they were a godly example to many young people during that time. They didn't do it for money. They didn't do it for fame. They didn't do it for fortune. But they thought to, to serve God because they wanted to magnify him. They wanted to glorify him. And they wanted to encourage young people to entrust their lives to him. Those young people God entrusted to their care. And I think there is going to be a comparable reward to the crown of glory for them. I also believe that not only are there shepherds and overseers in the church, but there are shepherdesses, if you will. Those who selflessly take care of the flock in their care. Young people, children, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord and not in the Lord. And I think that God is going to have a comparable crowd to them, a crown for them for shepherding the flock under their care. But that's the thus think is Joe. But God is a God of variety. I mean, look at this room around us. Different folks all. The next one is one of my favorite crowns. The crown of righteousness. And you'll see why in a second. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, Paul writes, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Do you see, when you look out at the world, do you see a downward spiral? That is the word, world moving downward. Does it hurt you inside when you see people verbally and physically treating others in a demeaning and selfish way? Does it hurt when you see people champion and promote sin? Does it hurt when you see someone trapped by sin and yet refusing to turn by Christ, who's the only deliverer from bondage? 
do you recognize that the presence of Christ is the only way really to heal hurt, bind up wounds, release captives, and restore relationships? Do you believe that he'll return? That he's going to set up an everlasting, righteous kingdom that will be, he will flawlessly reign over? That it will reflect godliness, grace, beauty, and glory because it will be a reflection of him. Do you daily long for this to happen? Do you pray, thy kingdom come? If you do, there's a crown of righteousness with your name on it at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, that's just a short overview of five crowns and rewards. But the words are very clear and they're understandable. There are crowns awaiting those who practice following Christ, who strive for godliness in their lives. Every believer has the potential, but some are satisfied just to make it to heaven. But that's only a participation award. It is fantastic in and of itself. But there's more to be had for each one of you. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. That's what John said. John started his walk with the Lord as a young man. And when he wrote these words, he had walked with Jesus for probably 70 years and more. He knew by personal experience the necessity of continuing to walk with Christ, to be his disciple. He did not want anyone to be ashamed of Christ's coming. He wanted the well-done, good and faithful servant proclamation to resound throughout the halls of heaven when each saint entered. Now, I've talked a lot about crown, and you're saying, well, what does that really mean? Does it mean we wear a crown? Well, I, I think there are literal crowns. We see in the book of Revelation, we see the elders casting their crowns at Jesus' feet. But what does it mean in reality for us on a practical level? Scholars say this, a believer's crown represents the capacity to worship and know God in a greater way. Our capacity grows through understanding him and the great love and care he brings when he joins our lives to his. It's because he is there in the joy and in the sorrow and in the calm and in the storm and in good health and in bad health in the day and the night. And when we walk with him, with a consciousness of him daily, we come to know him in a greater way. And that is the whole objective of our salvation, as I mentioned earlier. The difference between a disciple and a believer is that the disciple decides to walk with Jesus. You remember the story of the prodigal son. The one thing he knew about his father was that he could go home and he could at least serve his father. But he was his father's son. Some people think that parable is about a believer who gets trapped in sin, walks in a worldly way, only to find desolation and emptiness, and then repents and returns. But there was another brother, 
And he hung out every day, and he knew his dad pretty good. And his capacity to understand, and his reward would be great, as his father told him. The father's concern was naturally over the wayward one, and that gets all the press usually. But the quiet walk in humility with Lord, uh, with the Lord, with zeal in your heart, is what God really appreciates and loves. So the capacity to know Him grows. As you grow, you see and learn different things about God. You understand His working. You trust Him. You're more calm in difficult situations. When your world falls apart, Jesus is there and you know it. And you don't have to panic. That's capacity. And that should be one of our goals. And the side to that is that we get a crown in heaven as we're faithful and those, at least those five things that we talked about. I want to move to one other question that people have when you talk about rewards. Isn't thinking about rewards just selfish? You know, we have to be humble if we're Christians. This is what the Lord said to Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserved. The Lord knows our motivation. He knows that what and why about everything we think and do, so the decision rests in his omniscience, knowing all things, and there's nothing missed. Biblically speaking, what should my motivation be? What should the motivation that I have be? This, this diagram up here will also be by Jody Dillo. And it gives us a, something to visualize, something to think about. In the center is Christ's love. We love him because he first loved us, don't we? He reached out to us in love. He died on that cross to bridge the gap. And that's our main motivation. But there are others that the Bible talks about. For his sake. Have you ever done something, even though you maybe were standoffish about it or didn't want to do it, but you knew that Jesus had done for you and you wanted to do for him? For his sake. For the gospel's sake. Some people, when they get saved, are so excited. Some people maintain that excitement throughout their entire walk here. But just being saved, hearing the gospel, people just want to share it. I want to tell you about Jesus, my Savior. He wasn't just some historical figure. He was the Son of God who died and gave his life for us. And if you trust that, that message, you'll be saved. People love to spread the gospel. A desire to please him. We look at this from a negative point of view. Do you like to displease him? Does it make you feel good to displease him? No, I know it doesn't. We like to please him, just like we, we like to please our, our people in general, our, our spouses or our children or people, our boss at work. But Jesus is the ultimate one who we must seek to please. And that's another motivation. Then there is a forgiveness. Jesus said, who much is forgiven... Uh, they love much. And there are those people whose lives have been darker for some reason. The holes they have been in have been deeper. 
and Jesus had reached out to them and they had been saved. And it's that wonderful experience of being saved and forgiven that releases in them a joy and an excitement. And that's why they, they're motive. They, they think about that when they do most everything else. I never want to go back to that old life. I want to stay in the new life. And finally, there's rewards. Rewards are spoken about in the Word of God. It's not wrong to keep them in mind. We didn't bring the subject up. I am bringing it up to you only because it's written in the Word of God. Word that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what causes those thoughts to come into our mind. God wants us to know. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, everyone who competes in, the, competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He was not in training for his salvation. That was already his. It was a free gift. He was living his life in the present world with as much attention to the things of God as possible. Just like an athlete who sacrifices time, energy, and resources to be a champion and wear a victor's crown. So Paul sacrificed his time, energy, and resources in this world to be crowned with a heavenly crown. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. He exerts the energy to go forward for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Paul knew he couldn't win his salvation. The prize he was talking about are the promises that come with our salvation package. And this includes rewards. He knows every time that we make a decision to submit to his authority, no matter how major or minor. He knows every inward battle we fight to gain victory over sin, everyone we win and everyone we lose. He knows every time we resist sin and every time we sacrifice self for his glory. And he never looks to judge us because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's Romans, the book of Romans chapter 8. He always seeks to strengthen and encourage your faith in demonstrating, uh, in demonstrating his unfailing love for you. To Peter, Jesus said this, Satan has desired... To sift you, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Just like Peter, he works so that our faith will not fail. He will complete that perfect work he's begun in you. As believers, we are called to be soldiers. We are to fight the good fight. But I have, I'm sorry, fight the good fight. We are not to be entangled in the affairs of this world, but to be free to serve him. Whenever we're called. I believe it was C.S. Lewis. I'm not 100% certain when I heard this quote originally. But it makes sense. A soldier may serve his king and country in order to get personal glory. Or he may serve in battle for love of king and country. Now the, to the former, the one who, who seeks glory, he has his reward. But to the latter, his reward is really incidental. The opportunity to demonstrate love and faith is what he wants to do because he loves his Savior. What we do with a pure heart and with a right motivation in this life is no small thing to God. Because he knows our frailty, 
He wants to reward our efforts as we apply as much diligence as possible to holy and godly living as long as we remain on earth. I thought about this. We walk by faith. Most of the time, we do not know or see in this life the impact of our God-honoring choices. God doesn't miss a thing. There are things that you have done quietly for him. may be small, but it's big to him. It may have ripple positive effects. You don't know. I don't know. Nothing escapes his attention. And I'm sure at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven after the rapture when we're clothed in our new resurrected bodies, we will be in total awe of the accuracy of his evaluation of our lives as believers. There will be things we've forgotten that he will remember. There will be a crown for you if you follow him. Don't be satisfied with just salvation. Move on into the presence of God. Move on into knowing him. Rely rely on him every day of your life. I have a final thought. It's pretty, it should be obvious by now. You know, those rewards that were, when we spoofed earlier, the guys who get the rewards for, for turning in the bad guys, well, the money was probably gone, but they usually got a good reputation. But for us, the final thought is this. If people in this life go through sacrifice, toil, and danger to obtain earthly rewards that perish, what are we as believers willing to endure to obtain an imperishable heavenly reward. I gave you a lot of information. There's a lot of glazed looks out there tonight. If you remember that salvation is a gift and rewards are earned and that God is a rewarder, that's the heart of this message. Seek rewards. Seek rewards. Seek Christ's glory. Seek his honor in the things that you do. Go to prayer when he calls you to pray. Share what's on your heart with other people. Get in touch with them. Reach out. When that moment goes by, it's lost. Act on it. Do it. Be like Phineas. Be like the Egyptian midwives. That would be my encouragement for you today. In my life, I can testify this. I've had an ebb and flow relationship with God. Sometimes it's more intense than other times. But my time of walking with him I've grown to know and understand him in much deeper ways. I don't know if I have one crown up there at all. But really, in the end, I have a deeper knowledge of God. And God told Abraham, do not fear, Abraham. I am your exceedingly great reward. The greatest reward we have is that relationship with the Father because it's going to last throughout all eternity. Everything in this world is going to perish. So keep that in mind today. Let's pray, and as a praise team will come, we'll close with a very familiar song. Father, you are a rewarder. We do not deserve salvation. You give it as a gift. Just a gift. You gave your son as a gift. You set us free. We're not like those who have no hope. We have hope. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of living a life that will extend 
without stop. We have the promise of knowing you. And you're an infinite, infinite being, and we are finite. So we, our capacity will never be full of knowing you. And in knowing you, it means observing your creation. It means interacting with your creation. It means interacting with one another. And as we do that for your glory and in your name, we are richly blessed and rewarded. You're also a rewarder, Father. That is such an amazing thought to me. You inspire the prayers that we pray. You have ordained works that we're going to walk in. And yet you turn around and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done to those of you who have gone through deep struggles. I've seen the loss of loved ones. And yet have kept your faith. Well done, you who have been true to the Lord. When everything in your body wanted to, to sin and you didn't do it. Well done. The Lord knows that. He will reward that. Thank you, Father. We indeed can find our rest in you. And you indeed are glorious. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.